Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Coming up on today's episode of the Eurotrip, Trip, a ravey Eurovision winner, James may have come into the possession of a stolen book, and we head back to Riga and Eurovision 2003. It's time for the Eurotrip. The Eurotrip, when I read that, I was immediately thinking of the movie. Do you know the movie? <laughs> Hi, I'm Leanne. Hello, Leanne. Uh, Leanne, are you a Eurotrip podcast listener? I am, yes! <laughs> I should say, I met some Eurotrip fans here. I was chatting with people outside the entrance, and they said, oh, are you, are you Philip Fist? And I said, yeah, I know you're from the Eurotrip. What did you have for breakfast? It was last night. I did not have a kebab for breakfast. Queen Lorene, Eurovision winner. Did you ever think you would be back here again? I get goosebumps. No way. Martin Ossadar, Executive Supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much. Welcome back, I think it is, right? So hello everybody and welcome to episode two of the Eurotrip podcast for the 2024 season. I am Rob, as ever, as I have been for the last few years actually now on the podcast, joined by my learned colleague and friend, Mr. James Rowe. James, hello. Why did you sound so disgruntled when you said, for a few years now, as if it was like an imprisonment together? What was that about? It just dawned on me how much of our life we've spent on this podcast. <laughs> Not that we don't enjoy it. Need to reiterate, we very much enjoy it. And if we didn't enjoy it, we wouldn't have been doing it for so long. But yeah, when you actually think about it, we've been doing it for a long time. But it is lovely to talk to you every week, as it is lovely to talk to the listeners every week. 
It is indeed, and it's a good job we've got a lot to talk about because we are back this week for a brand new episode of Rewind. Isn't it exciting that this week's Rewind is the sequel to last week's Rewind? Last week on the podcast, of course, we... I was going to say we did a deep dive into Eurovision 2002. I don't think that really sums up what we did last week. It was far more <laughs> of a mega deep dive. I don't know. You know what I mean? I think James dedicated about 14 <laughs> weeks of his life to researching Eurovision 2002, as we heard on last week's podcast. Well, today it is the sequel. We are heading to Riga and we are rewinding to Eurovision 2003. So what happened after Marianne won the contest for Latvia in 2002? you will find out on today's podcast. And also, we're going to be joined by Dale from Aussie Vision to get to the bottom of whether or not Australia are going to be back in Eurovision in 2024. You don't hear him on Aussie Vision every week anymore, but we've got him on our podcast (laughs) instead. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Euro Trip. Yes, here we go then. Episode number two of Rewind. We'll be getting into 2003 a little bit later on. Plenty more to come before then. Uh, Rob, since we last spoke to everyone, uh, we sadly didn't win the award we were banging on about, but we were still nominated. So it was, it's, it's all good. We still got that recognition, but we didn't win. We didn't win, but we still had a lovely time at the Independent Podcast Awards. Thank you very much for the nomination. Very much enjoyed it. Uh, it was one of those very funny things where, I mean, I don't know if anyone else has ever found themselves in this position. Our category was first on. So we found out we hadn't won very early on in the evening and then had to sit through, <laughs> what, another 16 categories? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I seem to remember we were both desperate for the loo as well, fairly early on, and didn't want to leave to make it look like we were bitter about <laughs> not winning our category. Yeah, it was that awkward thing where, to be fair, at least we were near the end of a row. So we wouldn't have had to disturb too many people. But nobody wants to be those people that make people get up out of their seats and like, move so you can get out of the aisle. Do they really? Exactly. But also, we were in good company of people who were nominated and didn't win because we also saw that Jenny Ryan, who's been on the podcast before, you might know her from The Chase. She was on The Contest and Me, our series of that, last year. Uh, she was nominated as she didn't win either. So you know what? Great company to be in. It's all good company. It's all fine. Uh, Your week, though, from what I understand, improved significantly as it went on. I guess so. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I got to leave you behind. So immediately it went, uh, it went uphill. That is Uh, the last (laughs) time you are sleeping on my sofa bed. (laughs) No, no, uh, I should say, yeah, I went um, on a night out later in the week. And uh, yeah, I went to some like dive bars where you got all the cheesy music. And one of the songs they played was Fly on the Wings of Love, which obviously to me and to you and Eurovision fans listening, you will know is that as a Eurovision winner from 2000. Well, this kind of follows on from what we were saying last week about Eurovision songs in the wild, right? Mine was a very different setting. So I was explaining that on my honeymoon after my wedding, I heard Serbia and Montenegro 2005 in a sauna. So you heard Denmark 2000 in a bit of a shitty nightclub in Newcastle. Yes, I did, but it wasn't It wasn't like the actual version by which, the Alton Brothers. Which, if it had been, would have been amazing. Can you imagine everyone sort of stood there thinking, it's a bit slow, this. <laughs> no, because you, I don't think by your reaction, you've heard the version that was played on My Night Out. So let's play it now. This is the version not by the Alton Brothers, but in fact by XTM and DJ Chucky. 
Right, so this is me discovering this song for the first time. And already, it has a very bizarre opening, does it not? <laughs> I don't know if you can see the concern on my face. Oh, wow. Mm. I'm going to have to turn this down a little bit. Hold on. <laughs> I've got so many questions. How did they pick up on the fact that Fly on the Wings of Love, the original, existed in the first place? And what made them want mm. to do this to it? I don't know. And I'd love to know, surely you're not the only one who didn't know about this beforehand. And equally, surely I'm not the only one who did know about this. Because I remember it's when... Be- oh, it's very hacky, isn't it? <laughs> But hilariously, when I uh, got together with her girlfriend, probably in the first year or two, she had played this song for whatever reason, and I said, oh, what a funny version of a Eurovision song this is. And she was like, what do you mean? But sh- So she had no idea it was a Eurovision song, and I had no idea it had been turned into this rather awful charmer song, it has to be said. It's, um, like, ravey, but not in a good way, I would say. Mm. I'm just, honestly, I'm going to fade it out. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna fade it, I'm gonna fade it out there. That's, that's, I think, just about enough of that. Um, but it does, I suppose, prompt two questions then, or two things that you can get in touch about. Was there a song that you didn't realise was a Eurovision song and only later discovered it was a Eurovision song? Get in touch mm. with that. And also, any Eurovision songs that have been horrendously remixed. Yes, great idea. Yeah, get in touch if you're listening. We're at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter uh, and Instagram. You can follow us on TikTok as well at Eurotrip Podcast. Email us hello at eurotrippodcast.com as well. So Rewind 2003, on the way. First, though, the very latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. Me and James will be chatting through a couple of big stories from the week in a second. And Dale from Aussie Vision will be telling us why we haven't got Australia on a list of participants for 2024 yet. But maybe we will by the time we've recorded this. Who knows? By the time you listen to this, maybe the list is already out there. (laughs) But before we do all of that, we have to say thank you to those of you that have already bought us a coffee over on buymeacoffee.com slash Podcast. Uh, We mentioned this on last week's podcast. This is if you just want to donate a tiny bit of money, if you enjoy the podcast, if you want to help us make our 2024 season as good as it possibly can be, you don't have to donate much at all. You don't have to donate at all, I should clarify, but those of you that have, thank you so much. And uh, a few of those of you that have have donated, uh, thank you to Brad, said, hi guys, definitely worth sending you over some money to support the podcast. We've lost too many strong Eurovision podcasts recently, don't want yours to go as well. Mm. Not going anywhere, Brad, don't worry about it. Uh, Johnny said, keep up the good work, boys, very much appreciate all the hard work you put in each week. And then Mark said, loving the work, keep it up, guys. So uh, thank you to Brad, Johnny, Mark, and everybody else who bought us coffees over the last few days. Really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you very much. And if you head over there uh, to buymeacoffee.com slash podcast, you will also find all of the research that goes into every episode of Rewind. Uh, so if you hear the stories later on from Rob and you think, oh, I want to know a bit more about that, you can head over there and find out all of that research. Now, James, we are at the news desk, not together this week, but we are both at our own independent desks. Mm. 
here at Eurotrip News HQ. Uh, should we talk about Azerbaijan? Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, because they have been going through their selection process for 2024. They opened up their applications uh, a few weeks ago. We then got the news that they got 214 songs submitted. They whittled those names and those songs down. And finally, we're at six. So they've given us the names of the six that are potentially going to represent Azerbaijan next year in Malmö. Yeah, I'm going to pick one of those names out for you because it's probably a name that you're going to recognise already. So Icel, who of course represented Azerbaijan in 2018, James, the contest that you went to in Lisbon, of course, uh, mm. with her entry, Cross My Heart. Very much enjoyed that entry that year, not necessarily for the song itself, but because Cross My Heart was like a literal X, like X My Heart. <laughs> and you know somewhere out there, a commentator, whether it be on radio or TV, did call the song X My Heart, which I enjoy hugely. Um, I sell as well, who I think I'm right in saying, and we've always said before, there is a big Eurovision F1 crossover. Pretty sure I sell did the Azerbaijan national anthem before the Grand Prix earlier in the year. I think you might be right. Yeah, I think you did. Definitely won yet. It might have been this year. Bold strategy to have Icel in that final six to go from a non-qualifying artist with Tural Turan X early this year and have your first ever non-qualifying artist in the mix. Uh, Just, of course, it's probably a very good song and five other artists are in there as well. And it's going to be interesting to see whether or not any songwriters from outside of Azerbaijan are involved in that song because they've gone down that route before. You spoke to Anders Retov over the summer on The Contest and Me. He's written two of Azerbaijan's songs before, and most recently in 2022 uh, with Fade to Black. And he did say to us, didn't he? He said that he had been in touch with other heads of delegations. So I wonder if he is involved in any of those songs that are in the final six. Absolutely. So we will wait to find out who Azerbaijan, of course, ultimately sent to Eurovision in 2024. But we also wait to find out who will be joining us in Eurovision 2024 in Malmo, because we are still, at the time of recording this podcast at least, awaiting the official list of participants in Eurovision 2024, which means that we still aren't sure on the future of Australia. Because, James, we heard, didn't we, at the end of the 2023 contest, or around the 2023 contest, that... Their contract was was at an end, basically the contract between the EBU and SBS, the Australian broadcaster, to participate in Eurovision. We know that SBS will be broadcasting Eurovision next year, but will Australia be taking part? Yeah, it's still the biggest question on everybody's lips at the moment, isn't it? You mentioned they were on a five-year deal. Uh, <laughs> the biggest question on everybody's lips. <laughs> It's quite a claim, but do go on. (laughs) In the world of Eurovision, I felt like I didn't need to add that qualifier to the end. I thought you'd at least know what I meant. Anyway, it's one of the biggest story on some people's lips right now. Thank you. Uh, This all comes from uh, last week when SBS, that's the Australian broadcaster, held their uh, upfront, which is uh, a huge press conference where they get to tell everyone what's coming up over the coming 12 months or so. And as you say, SBS said at the time that they're going to broadcast Eurovision next year, which they have done for 40 years or so now, but said they were still in discussions with the EBU about whether or not they're actually going to participate. Now, of course, they are an associate member of the EBU, not a full member like most other participating countries. So they do have a little bit of a, of a hurdle to climb and a, probably a few more pieces of paper to, to sign. Uh, so to get to the bottom of it, I thought we'd chat too. One of our favourite Aussies, Dale, from 
Aussie Vision. He's been on the podcast loads before, and he did a great video summary over on the Aussie Vision YouTube channel about what this all means and what we could potentially be seeing come 2024. And if you want to watch that video summary, should we pop it in the description of the episode? Because as you said, it's a really, really good look at what might be happening with Australia at Eurovision. So we'll do that. We'll pop a link to the video in the description. Yes, we will. Uh, before you watch that, let's hear from Dale first, though. Uh, this is what happened when I caught up with him a little bit earlier on. Dale from Aussie Vision, just by yourself this week, but welcome to the Eurotip. How are you? Yeah, good, James. G'day. How are you doing? Really good, thanks. Really good. I wish we were talking in like really happy circumstances, but at least we're not talking in sad circumstances either. I guess it's safe to say it's uncertain. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah, exactly. We, we don't have confirmation about what's happening with Australia, but we do know that we're not out. <laughs> and that is good news for us. Like, I think the recent news that we've sort of had where SBS has definitely said they're very keen and they want to do it is such good news. And it kind of just feels like we're just waiting for something to be sorted out. Because from the outside, it does look like SBS, Australia's broadcaster, they do want to put pen to paper, but it looks like there's a lot of, you know, you want to probably use the word politics going on behind the scenes. Yeah, and exactly. And the, the biggest thing I think in the first place is that SBS have said this. It's the first time they've been very um, proactive in saying, hey, yeah, we want to do this. What is happening in the background? Who knows? And you never know what's going on with these things. But I think the fact that we used to have to get invited back year on year, uh, it just feels like maybe if it was just to be invited back to Sweden next year for a one-off, it would have been sorted. So it does feel like something else is going on. Because we have to mention that, don't we? For the first couple of years, you guys were being brought back on a one-year one year basis. And then more recently, you had that five-year deal. So it was a bit of security for for you and all the other Australian fans. But now, as you say, it might look like that's what Australia and SBS are going for, that longer-term security, rather than just trying to guarantee that one-year basis again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, broadcasters want to have that security um, they want to know, hey, we're going to be in this for a while, so we're going to invest in it. Because you don't want to just invest one year on, one year off. You want to build relationships, whether that's with artists, whether that's with record companies, whether that's with, I don't know, venues or sponsors for a potential national final to go for multiple years. Who knows? Um, but, you know, that's what was tied up with that last five-year deal because it was very much tied in around Australia Decides. Now, that doesn't mean Australia Decides coming back, but it shows that you want to have some certainty you mentioned the word certainty there is a lot of uncertainty though at, at this time i was having to read through this sounds terribly boring but it, it will generate this into a good fun chat i promise you i was reading something in sbs's corporate plan for the 23 24 season <laughs> I'll, I'll read out the quote it's full of boring words but we'll get to the fun part in a second uh, they mentioned that soft global macroeconomic conditions continue to generate uncertainty in Australia, driven by fears of global recession, high inflation uh, and unprecedented scenes from around the world. You just have to look at that and you think, obviously, Eurovision costs a lot of money, the uncertainty around everything else that's going on. Eurovision isn't necessarily always at the top of other people's agenda. Exactly. And for a lot of people who don't know, SBS is our smallest broadcaster. Most public broadcasters across Europe are some of the biggest, right? For us, SBS was um, built in the first place or developed to 
suit a multicultural audience. So they get about four or five percent of the market share. They are not well off. Um, they're absolutely fine, but that's why you'd often see the acts needing other support. West Australian Tourism came in to help Voyager in their whole campaign. So it's basically a tourism campaign <laughs> attached to a Eurovision campaign. So they have to think outside the box a little bit. They've always been very dedicated to Eurovision, obviously broadcasting since 1983. They have just got the rights to the World Cup, uh, Men's World Cup in 2026, which wouldn't have been cheap, but it's very much an integral part of, of SBS. But so is Eurovision now. When you when you ask Australians what they think of SBS, it's World Cup, it's football, soccer, it is Eurovision and it's the Tour de France. So if you back away from that, I don't know, it's not part of their core thing, but it's certainly the cost will definitely play a part in it. Now, we should say as well that you did over on the Aussie Vision YouTube channel a full breakdown and a full analysis of, of all this that came from the SBS Upfront, uh, which took place last week. We'll put a link to that in, in our episode description. Uh, when SBS came out and actually put this comment out about how they do want to come back, and at least they are going to broadcast it, we should say that. It's not as if you're not going to broadcast it. What, what kind of feelings were you getting there thinking, okay, at least they've put a statement out, at least one nod out, we are still in discussions. For Australian fans like you, it must have been a, at least a little sigh of relief that it's not all over just yet. Yeah, I was, I've was. i been feeling pretty confident throughout the season, but that day, we knew that was going to be an important day. And when nothing, I was basically refreshing the feed on it, like constantly <laughs> all day, like during my, between my work meetings and nothing had come through. They didn't say anything. They didn't announce it. And I was like, oh my God, what's happened? And then the statement came out. And it sounded really positive, the most positive we've heard or any news at all. So um, I felt good. And I think most Aussie fans did as well. There was a real turning point for us to go, okay, this sounds like it's on. It's just in what way? So I think there's been a little bit of relief and a bit of hope when I think a lot of people had been kind of like giving up on it, basically. And if it doesn't, we, we should for a very small period, will dwell on the fact that if it doesn't go the right way, what do you think would happen to the reputation of Eurovision? What would happen to the viewership over there in Australia? What do you think? Oh, look, I think, I mean, it'll maybe take a bit of a, a hit, but not massively. Like, remember, it was probably at its most popular, even just as we were coming into performing, uh, it, when it was just a Sunday night, when we didn't have the broadcast in the morning. So it's it's been an, it's such a huge part of Australia's uh, history. We love Eurovision. That's why we're there in the first place. If we're not in it, look, I'll be personally devastated, but Eurovision will still continue to um, go on here in Australia. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed, obviously. We want as many countries as possible. And this is perhaps why we're still waiting for the participation list, because the deadline has been and gone. It was back in October that countries had to decide. But obviously, Australia is a, a different case as an associate member. So perhaps that's why we're waiting. But yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, before we let you go, Dale, uh, we've got to mention Aussie Vision. Uh, the, the podcast, as, as we know it, is, is coming to an end or did so earlier in the year. But there's still, for you guys plenty 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 more content coming up over the uh, coming weeks and months as we get into national final season yeah exactly look i mean we, we might have one foot in the grave but the podcast is, <laughs> isn't completely it isn't completely dead don't worry we're not going away yet james um but we're not doing the weekly show but we're going to do a, around kind of like a monthly show and still the build up and we'll still cover it during eurovision so it'll just cut our time that we dedicate to it a little bit but we've still got our website we've still got a massive team social media videos everything like it's day in day out content at the moment on um with aussie vision and our incredible team just a 
little less podcast, but still the podcast is alive. It's not dead yet. <laughs> which is the good news, which is the good news. Yes. Dale, shall we put a date in the diary for whenever it's going to be for you to come back on the pod and either celebrate or commiserate when the news about Australia comes about? Uh, I will definitely be here to celebrate Australia being in Eurovision because I am a betting man and I'm confident and I'm putting down my money that Australia is going to be there next year. There's a confident man for you, everyone. Oh, dear. It's been great to chat. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the pod for a catch up. No worries, James. You're listening to The Euro Trip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So this is the Eurotrip podcast, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. And Rewind 2003 is on the way. And also, always great to have Dale from Aussie Vision, everybody's favourite Australian Eurovision news website, here on the podcast. What a lovely guy. Lovely guy. Great analysis. And I can listen to an Australian talk about Eurovision every day of the week. <laughs> you and me both. Head over to the podcast and YouTube and you can probably hear an Aussie talking about Eurovision every day. Probably. I think you definitely, definitely can. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> now, before we get into Rewind 2003, as we said, because that is effectively the sequel to what we did here on the podcast last week when we were doing Rewind 2002, the contest that was in Tallinn, I have to mention this tweet from Jamie. So Jamie got in touch after listening to last week's podcast and said, I won Jonathan Maitland's book at an OGAE UK event in 2002. I still have it. Worth waiting for it in the post, James. So he's talking to you there. It's a good read. I remember them enjoying lots of lemonade after making it through the Radio 2 semi-final. <laughs> yes. So if you didn't listen, this is all about Jonathan Maitland, who is a journalist here in the UK. And he tried to get a number one single in the UK. And part of that quest was to enter the UK's national selection in 2002. And I mentioned he'd written a book. I ordered it and it hadn't arrived. Well, Rob. Come on. No. Da, 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 da. There it is. Oh my goodness. There it, there it is. Hold on. Let me look at the front cover. So you've got, just for everyone listening to this, you might be able to see this if you, uh, if you are able to watch this on video, but just to describe it for the listeners, it is a big number one and in it on a gold background, it says how to have a number one hit single. And I can't quite read the words at the bottom, but I mean, James, I have an issue with this because you didn't actually get a number one hit signal, but go on. Well, because the words at the bottom that you couldn't read say, and what to do if you don't. Uh, so very <laughs> he's very upfront about it. Can I just say, I'm about 100 pages in, and this is one of the best books I have ever read in my entire life. Genuinely, wow. it is fascinating, hilarious, really thoroughly recommend it. I put a link to it on our Buy Me A Coffee if you want to go and try and find it. You probably won't find a new copy because it's a you know, 20 years old. There's not a huge demand for it either. No, apart from me suggesting it to all of our listeners. However, I got a used copy and I know that it's a used copy because it has like one of those like library sheets in it where it like tells you it was never taken out. <laughs> and it comes Hold on from... though. Is this a concern that someone has nicked this book from a library and then sold it on? Well, exactly. And it's definitely come from a library because it's got a stamp in it that says property of the Learning Resource Centre of Dagenham Park Community School. <laughs> I can get I can get on the train from here and go to Dagenham. So do you want me to go to Dagenham Park Community School and ask if they're missing a copy? You want to go and ask them if they're missing their copy of Jonathan Maitland's book? Yeah, go and do it. But yes, I should say, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. It's really, really good, really funny. One of the best books I've ever read. 
Okay, right, okay. Well, I might let you finish it before I go and contact the school and ask them if they want their <laughs> Anyway, it's time to rewind. So here we go then for another week, episode two of Rewind for our 2024 season and a look back at Eurovision 2003. Now, as always, let's kick off with a bit of context to give you an idea of what was happening in the world when the contest in Riga took place. So in the February of 2003, the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia officially became Serbia and Montenegro, renamed after the two nations that made up the federation. They would, of course, debut in the Eurovision Song Contest the following year. And then on March the 20th, just a few days after that year's Eurovision submission window had ended, the Iraq War began. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. Fast forward a few weeks, and President Bush declared the invasion over just a few weeks before the contest kicked off in Riga. And in the April, the Treaty of Accession is signed in Athens between the European Union and 10 new countries. That was the Czech Republic, Estonia, Cyprus, that year's host country of Latvia, Lithuania, Hungary, Malta, Poland, Slovenia and Slovakia, paving the way for these countries to join the EU the following May. You're welcome for me giving you that list of countries to read out. (laughs) To the contest then, and let's pick up where we left off after last week's episode and Marianne's victory in Tallinn. Now this might sound familiar, especially if you did hear the podcast last week, because LTV, the Latvian broadcaster, initially had budgetary concerns about staging the contest. The chairman of the National Radio and Television Council, Oyars Rubinis, went public to say that, and I quote, if the government presented no budget guarantees, then the council, which owns shares in LTV, the Latvian broadcaster, would vote against organising the contest. Well, as can be expected, eventually the Latvian government allocated 3.2 million lats, which is the equivalent of 5.3 million euros, to cover the costs of organising the contest, while the city of Riga also donated 670,000 lats, the equivalent of 1.1 million euros, to the project. Now, we only know these figures because they were released when LTV had to deny what they called false information published in the foreign media that the contest may have to be moved. Drama already. We haven't even gotten to the contest. We've already we've already got <laughs> oh, some drama. Oh, there's drama to come. Don't you worry about that. Now, we should say that Riga weren't the only city in the running to host the contest in 2003, with Latvia's second largest city, Ventspils, also applying, along with Riga's near neighbours, the town of Jermala. Jermala, not Jermala, the eventual winner of 2016. Uh, A final decision, (laughs) a final decision on the host city uh, was eventually made on the 15th of June in 2002. I still love that there is all of this drama and all of these cities bidding, but we still get an announcement of who is hosting significantly earlier than we do now. I was going to say, yeah, what was that? 15th of June. I think, yeah, even Malmö, who were who were very quick, I think they were even later than that this year, weren't they? So yeah, Latvia moved very, very quickly. Now, remember to last week and the relegation rule that we mentioned. Well, in 2003, it will be the last Eurovision to take place over a single evening. Uh, more on that later. And heading into the contest in Riga, 14 of the countries who took part in Tallinn the previous year were expected to compete. The bottom 10, however, from 2002 would be relegated. No, no. 
<laughs> to allow new countries to compete for the very first time. In reality, only five countries were relegated, 19 countries that ended in 2002 competed in Riga, while Macedonia, Finland, Switzerland, Lithuania and Denmark were forced to sit out of the contest. Now, the 19 qualifiers were joined by the six countries that had to sit out of the 2002 contest. That was Iceland, Ireland, the Netherlands, Norway, Poland and Portugal. So welcome back then to Iceland, Ireland, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal and Poland for Eurovision 2003. Now, there was significant interest from new nations in joining for 2003, with Albania, Andorra, Belarus and Serbia and Montenegro all having to wait until a semi-final was introduced at the Eurovision Song Contest a year later. Now, at this point in time, Rude Behrman, who I think got a mention on last week's podcast, the then head of the Eurovision Reference Group, wrote a letter to these would-be debut nations, stating that we are facing a very difficult situation regarding the number of participants in the Eurovision Song Contest, as this year four new countries are willing to enter. This sudden increase of participants has never happened in recent years, and the current process of admission is not adapted to such a situation. Having these four new countries at the same time in the contest would mean excluding countries that have been part of the contest for many years, and in those markets, being excluded for a year could be a real disaster. Basically, what Rude Behrman there is saying is that, thanks for being interested, but we're all right. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, I guess they didn't have this sort of complexity since 1993, when they had to host the, the first ever pre-qualifier event. So yeah, they were in tricky ground at this point. But one country that would actually make their debut in 2003 was Ukraine. Now, first up, here is how they were introduced on BBC TV on the night of the final. And then we'll hear from Ukraine's first commentator at the contest, Pavlo Shilko. This is a little car being driven by Oleksandre, who's singing for the Ukraine. Song 16, Hasta la Vista. The composers are Svika Pik and Mirit Shemur. Once again, there's so many distractions in the background, it's hard to keep your eyes and ears on the singer and the song. Turquoise is the new black in the Ukraine. It started in 2002 when uh, I got the news that Ukrainian television, national television, got official rights to have the first uh, broadcast. That was the one, and I remember even I was asked by Ukrainian television to do the voiceover uh, jingle for that thing. And so that was 2002, the Eurovision in Tallinn, the first one that was broadcast in Ukraine. And after that, it was announced that Ukraine would be the next country to participate in the following Eurovision, which was supposed to take take place. And it took place then later in Latvia. So uh, let's say uh, we all knew that one year in advance. Uh, then Ukrainian television assigned Alexander Ponomarov as the first entry. I remember we took like a couple of bus. Yeah, there was a bus and he, he took his own limo. So that way we went to Latvia. It took us like around, I guess, 40 hours to get from, from Kiev. Yeah, we started at Melnikova, the, you know, uh, Ukrainian television place. And then we went to Latvia, to Riga. Yeah, it took us around 40 hours. Blimey, For 40 hours on the road just to get to Eurovision. Yeah, it's like, uh, do you remember Eurovision 2010 when there was the volcano and all the flights got cancelled? Mm. And I think, didn't the UK send our act, Josh Dobovi at the time, of course, uh, over on a ferry, I think? That's, that's worth a rewind episode in itself, surely. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> but, but mark that for series three. <laughs> 
Anyway, after the participation list had finally been finalised, there was drama in December when the production team behind the contest were replaced. Now, unimpressed with how preparations were going, the Swedish broadcaster SVT, who had previously, of course, hosted the contest just three years earlier in 2000 and had also assisted the previous year in Tallinn, were then asked to take on the responsibility of producing the show. The then technical project leader of SVT, Boss Valberg, which is a great name, told a press conference that the plans as of today include to fill seven big trailer trucks with lights and sound equipment and bring them to Latvia on May the 7th. In total, will be around 80 people from Sweden. Most of them were working for the Estonians in Eurovision 2002 as well. Enjoy how literal he was with the <laughs> details there. Seven big trucks full of stuff <laughs> will help help put Eurovision on that year. Uh, the same week, by the way, that all this happened, the former head of entertainment at SVT, Svante Stoxelius, also joined the production crew. Uh, Svante, of course, would later go on to become the contest's executive supervisor before he was eventually replaced in 2011 by your friend and mine, Jonola Sand. Mmm, yeah. Now, in January came news that would shake the Eurovision world to its core. Now, during the 24th Ordinary Meeting of the European Broadcasting Union Television Committee, but you can't fit that on a business card, uh, held in Dublin, it was confirmed a new format for the contest has been chosen. Now, get this. The original plan, and one signed off by the majority of members, would see a pre-selection the day before the grand final on the Friday night. The night before the grand final. You imagine the scenes if that happened now. I knew that when you found out about this, like when I was researching for the episode, you would be fuming. Because if people remember listening back to, I think, James, your episode of The Contest and Me, I think one of your suggestions Mm. was, let's move the semi-finals now to a Monday and a Wednesday. Well, imagine the pressure on the artists of having to perform two nights in a row. Like If you got through to the final, if you were successful on the Friday night, you then what? You get a couple of hours sleep, back up again for the flag parade the following day? (laughs) Honestly, remarkable that it was even signed off as well. I, I had no idea about that. Remarkable. Yeah, we'll have to have another look to see what changed between then and, of course, 2004. Mm. Because that first semi-final in 2004, I think, was on a Wednesday. Mm. Anyway, to the UK now. And as they had the previous year, the BBC selected the UK act through A Song for Europe, with eight acts competing for a place in Riga. <laughs> Simple, homely enthusiasm as you welcome to 2003's Song for Europe final live on BBC One. God, it's thrilling, isn't it? And in the midst of time, long, long before the likes of your pop idols and your shame academies, there was a show created that continues to be the behemoth, if you know the word, of talent programmes. It's the original, the real thing, the biggest music show in the whole wide universe. This afternoon, I pronounce the Eurovision season open. Now, for the first time, a fee was also imposed on songs being submitted, with artists aged 17 or under only allowed to spend, get this, £20 to create their entry, while those aged over 17 had £110 to spend. 
Now, eventually, over 700 entries were submitted, but there was yet more drama to come after the final eight had been chosen. Shortly before the final, Esther Hart withdrew from the selection, having made it through to the last eight, because she had won a place in the Dutch national final that same year. And she would, of course, go on to represent the Dutch at Eurovision in Latvia. Now, she was replaced in a song for Europe by the group United Colours of Sound. And days later... They also withdrew. What is it with drama and Eurovision 2003? How many times have we mentioned that word already? There's just so much going on. Honestly, honestly. Now, uh, after a semi-final was held on BBC Radio 2 here in the UK, four songs progressed to the final with Liverpool duo Gemini winning the right to represent the UK. They didn't receive the most votes, however. That honour went to Emily Reid. Now, Emily Reid finished second in A Song for Europe, with Gemini winning more sets of 12 points from the regional juries, but Gemini got less votes overall. So if you count all the votes together, if you'd had a different format, then it would have been Emily Reid who'd represented the UK at Eurovision in 2003, and how the UK's history at Eurovision could have been so very different. Uh, Emily's Eurovision journey, though, it wasn't over, because three years later... She would appear on stage in Athens as a backing vocalist for, you've guessed it by now, the one and only Daz Sampson. <laughs> Honestly, I-, I love it when you find out these nuggets of people who had tried to do Eurovision and then ended up as a backing singer for somebody else. It's just like moving a chessboard around, isn't it? You can just move them all around and you can eventually find somebody who did this and that and the other. Always good fun. Yeah, just fascinating, isn't it? How one result could have changed, could have changed everything, but alas... Gemini went to Riga, and we'll talk about that again in a bit. To the contest itself, then. And rather than run through each song, we have handpicked a few that we think are worth a mention. And we will start with song number three on the night. It's Island. Now that's Mickey Joe Hart with his entry, We Got the World. And it's safe to say there was a fair bit of Mickey mania happening in his home country. Uh, Mickey had been selected after winning the You're a Star show on RTE, a programme that still holds viewing figure records for the channel. Uh, Now back in 2020, Mickey joined us here on the podcast and shared his memories from the contest in Riga. I mean, I think the weight of the expectation, the weight of expectation was on my shoulders when I was there because the song was so big here. And, um, you know, I believe, I still believe it's one of the best songs of the competition. You know, and, you know, we, it was a really good pop song. And I just felt, you know, it didn't sort of get support or, you know, it's, it's always the way, you know, maybe I, if it had been all jury, it might have been different. You know, we might have got a better sort of swing of votes in that way, might have been in the running. But there was, you know, a lot of sort of stuff that goes on 
the 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 Russian girls were there, you know, tattoo. They were, you know, they had a lot of the media support and a lot of their antics were going on, you know. So there's, you know, so you're those kind of things play into uh, a public vote at the time, you know. So that, that that's you know you're kind of very difficult to um, uh, offset that, you know. Now he'd eventually finish in eleventh place. Now singing immediately after Ireland were Turkey. More of them later. But for now, let's fast forward to song number 11. And Mickey mentioned them there. It's Russia. Now this is the female duo Tattoo. The pair, who had already scored a number one across Europe the previous year with all the things she said, were selected to quote the author Chris West in his book, I've got it here, Eurovision, A History of Europe Through the World's Greatest Song Contest, that's the name of the book. So to quote what Chris said about Tattoo, uh, he said Russia selecting them was a massive FU to Western Europe. In an attempt to show how liberal their country was, the duo also faked a lesbian relationship in the run-up to the contest, something which was later uncovered shortly after the pair returned home from Riga. Uh, Tattoo also missed rehearsals. At one point, they threatened to perform naked on stage. So much so, there was so much concern around from the producers at the time that they had pre-recorded one of Tattoo's performances, one of the dress rehearsals they had actually turned up for, and they had that ready to play out on the Saturday night should anything actually happen on the big night. It was the original live on tape backup performance, wasn't it? Well before its time. Uh, now the next up is song number 15. And I think you probably know what happened next. Well, let's all cheer it together. Gemini, cry baby for the United Kingdom. And I tell you this, we've got the best legs in Europe. This is, of course, the aforementioned Gemini for the United Kingdom. Now, while they admitted that their performance was off-key, they claimed they were unable to hear the backing track due to a technical fault, while commentator Terry Wogan claimed that the UK was suffering from, and I quote, a post-Iraq backlash. Uh, a BBC News report on the night of the final also claimed Gemini suffered a further setback after their dressing room was vandalised as they gave interviews following their defeat in Latvia. The door was kicked in, then the walls were smashed. I think it was specifically targeted, said the duo's manager, Martin O'Shea. 
And a Chris Crombie, one half of Gemini, called the result laughable and said it was one of the best performances we have ever done. Hopefully Britain will realise that. I don't think Britain ever did, did they? Uh, If you want to hear that interview, by the way, that Chris does, um, that we've quoted from there, I will put a link to it on Buy Me A Coffee. So if you do want to have a look at, uh, at that interview where... Chris does call their performance one of their best ever. Um, We'll put a link to it there. So that will be on uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. Now, a very quick mention to Belgium, who for the first time in Eurovision history sang in an entirely made up language. A tactic that obviously worked with Urban Trad going into the final set of points five ahead of Turkey in second, with Russia a further five points back in third. Now here's how the dramatic voting sequence came to an end. Spain, one point. L'Espagne, and point. Spain, one point. Ireland, two points. Ireland, two points. Le Grand, deux points. Belgium, three points. Belgium, three points. La Belgique, trois points. Ten points to Turkey. Ten points go to Turkey. La Turquie, two points. And finally, 12 points for Russia. And Russia gets 12 points from Slovenia. Love to see this one. Thank you, Riga. Have a good time. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the winner, the winner of Eurovision Song Contest 2003, and it's Turkey. Now it fell to Slovenia to deliver that final dramatic set of points with 10 enough to crown Turkey the winners of Eurovision for the first time. Now, Sertab Eriner won the contest from fourth position in the running order, the earliest a winner had performed since Paul Harrington and Charlie McGettigan had won from third in the running order in 1994. James, thank you to your spreadsheet for that fact. (laughs) You're very welcome. Uh, Now, this was also the first time that the Turkish entry was performed entirely in the English language at Eurovision, something that caused much controversy in her home country. In fact, she was forced to call a press conference before the event in Riga, saying she had made the decision to give her the best chance of winning the contest. Before she plays us out here on Rewind, let's round up the results for you. Uh, Behind the top three of Turkey, Belgium and Russia, all separated by just three points. And for the first time since 1996, and therefore for the first time in the open language rule era, that three different languages were represented in the top three positions. Uh, Next came Norway in fourth, Sweden in fifth, and Austria got their best result in 14 years in sixth place. So to play us out then, to end Rewind 2003, here is Turkey. It's Sertab Erener and the winner of Eurovision in Riga all the way back. How many years? 20 years ago.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you are in listening, find us on social media. Add Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Welcome back to the Eurotrip podcast then. Uh, what a great rewind that was. 2003, lovely to follow on from what we did with 2002 last week. And as I said, Rob, just so much drama. I feel like as much drama doesn't happen nowadays, or if it does, it just seems to just appear and then get squashed straight back down again. It's always little bits of drama, not big drama, like we saw in 2003. Yeah, 2002 and 2003, as we've shown over the last couple of weeks, a hotbed of Eurovision drama. And as we said during that rewind, can you imagine if social media existed back then? Imagine the scenes on social media when, you know, the news came through that Eurovision would be introducing a semi-final or the production team were sacked and all of these crazy things that happened. But that's why it's so much fun here on Rewind to look back at some of these stories because... Yeah, you, you you can't imagine it happening right now. Like you can't imagine it happening for Eurovision twenty twenty four, for example. Might eat my own words. Who knows? <laughs> That'd be interesting when it when the when the BBC replace SVT in the run up to the contest. Pro- probably won't happen. But yeah, it's been great fun looking back at that era of Eurovision. And without giving too much away, we're going way back on next week's podcast. Way, 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 way back. Yeah, a lot earlier than 2003 and 2002, it has to be said. So make sure you tune in then to find out which year we go back to and hear some incredible stories. But before then, let's quickly wrap up with the one second song. Yeah, so this is the part of the podcast where we have to guess the Eurovision song from, you guessed it, the very first second. There are four points on offer, James. They are four, remind me. No, you don't need to remind me. We've been doing this for long <laughs> enough. The name of the song, the name of the artist, the country they were representing, and the year in which it took part, correct? Indeed, yes. Now, you chose the song last week for me, and I got no points, so I'm on zero. Now, I'm choosing the song for you this week, so you have an opportunity to take the lead with this, that is this week's One Second Song. I don't think you've been very kind. I think what you've done here is you've retaliated to the fact that you got no points on last week's podcast. (laughs) I don't know if I've so much as retaliated. Um, It's not as easy as what you did. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Okay, right. I'm only going to have one more listen then. So for me and you at home, here is this week's One Second Song one more time. It's a very kind of upbeat, jovial little song, isn't it? From what I can work out there from the first second. I'll give you a slight clue, and it it might not be, make you feel much better, but I would say it is a fairly well-known song. It doesn't help, no. Not hugely. <laughs> um, it's well-known, according to you. 
And what have we done on the podcast this week? Trying to work backwards. Um, we have talked about the contest in Riga. So that's Latvia. We've also spoken about Australia's potential participation in the contest. Is there any Australia-Latvia crossover that I can think of? <laughs> Not so much. Uh, I'm going to go for, um, just because it's one of my faves and it sounds a bit like it, but I don't think it is. Um, I'm going to go for Brainstorm, My Star, Latvia 2000, their first ever entry at Eurovision. Lovely song, but no point, I'm afraid. <sighs> totally off the mark. In fact, you have to go many, many years beforehand back to 1974. <sighs> because, Rob, that was for the United Kingdom, Olivia Newton-John with Long Live Love. <laughs> I'm just pleased that you didn't say that was of course ABBA with Waterloo <laughs> because that would have been the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened on this podcast and that's saying a lot yeah I thought I'd choose that one uh, I thought of it over the weekend when I thought let's chat to Dale from Aussie Vision who is an Aussie who else is an Aussie but Olivia Newton-John then on Sunday night I went to a pub quiz and Olivia Newton-John representing the UK was a question in the pub quiz and I thought well it's meant to be so that's what I chose it is meant to be. It is meant to be. Very good. Now, that does make sense. Thank you for choosing that then from 1974. And this, again, opens a whole other can of worms for uh, people who have represented a country at Eurovision that wasn't their nationality, if that mm. makes sense. That is a huge can of worms. <laughs> exactly. Like Celine Dion representing Switzerland, of course, despite the fact she's from Canada. And we can't say much about this, but this is enough of a tease that people will be listening to this and they'll be like, what? So we can't give the details for this, but your brother had a conversation. Oh, you can't, with... you, you can't say any of it. You can't say any of it. Right, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll keep that in. I can't say <laughs> All I was going to say is he had a conversation with someone about a song okay. he was doing with someone else. Yes. Can I say, can I say that? So, I so, think so. <laughs> James's brother, who writes stuff for the website, eurotrippodcast.com, was having a conversation with someone about entering a national final. And they were entering a song with someone who was apparently new to that national final, but not new to Eurovision. And that's all we know. That's all the details I'll give you. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to give it all away. It was very much off the record. But yes, uh, intriguing nonetheless. Anyway. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll, 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 I'll leave you all to um, yeah, <laughs> hypothesize on who that might be, what country that might be, and there you are. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's wrap it up there before Rob gets us into any more trouble. Uh, thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode. We will be back in seven days' time for a brand new episode of the Eurotrip, another episode of Rewind, and also we'll be bringing you a Rewind Revisited on Friday if you're brand new to us and you want to hear what we did on Series 1. Uh, but in the meantime, don't forget you can keep in touch with us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email, and you can read all of our exclusive stories on EurotripPodcast.com. Also, as well, if you want to support the podcast or if you want to see any of the research 
that Rob put into Rewind this week, you can head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. So then, I suppose it is time for us to say goodbye, although I don't want to say goodbye first because I never do. Okay, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Coming up. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Oh, oh, oh dear. Pardon you. Thank you.